Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast. The goal of this is pretty simple. We bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. And I'm your host today. My name is Grant. Uh, with me today, I'm real fortunate to have uh, Chief Scott Hathaway. Uh, right now, he's the Chief of Training in Vernon Township Fire Department. But we're going to talk about a fire um, that he was at. It was uh, several years ago uh, in 2004. If you've taken one of my classes, uh, you might have seen a video, and I got the video from uh, Chief Skip Coleman, who was a big proponent of search and, and uh, veteran of the Toledo Fire Department. Um, so uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but welcome, Scott. How you doing? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and your fire service career? Um, yeah, I've been in the fire service since I turned 18. I've been around it my whole life. My grandfather and my dad were both firefighters. Um, they were both, they both started in Woodville, Ohio as volunteers. My grandpa later um, took a job in Oregon, Ohio Fire Department. He was a chief of fire prevention. And I was around the fire station my whole life. Uh, I couldn't wait to turn 18 and join and join when I turned 18. And then Went to college for a year, decided that wasn't for me, wanted to get in the fire service. So I just started taking tests and lucked out and got hired on Toledo in February of 88 and worked there for 33 and a half years, retired from there and kind of fell into a job at Vernon Township Fire. Cool. For those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Toledo Fire? Yeah, Toledo Fire, uh, we have... 18 stations, 18 engines. Um, when I first got on, there were three heavy rescues. Uh, it went down to two. They went away for a little while, and then they came back. So there's still two heavy rescues in Toledo right now. Uh, back then, they would send a heavy rescue to every fire if there was one in service anywhere in the city. So it was split into thirds. So you always got one unless we were all out of service for runs or training or something. Um, our primary function back then was search. Today, it's generally the same thing. Every now and then, we'll, we would, you know, get assigned a tack or help with a tack. But generally, our function was search at fires. What was uh, so? What in Toledo? What would you guys get on a regular regular alarm for a house fire? Uh, we would get three engines, a heavy rescue, a ladder truck, a battalion chief, and a safety officer. Once safety officers came into play. And then who was, who was running the fire? Is it pre-incident assignments or was it IC driven or who's doing what? Uh, when I first got in, honestly, I don't remember. It wasn't really an incident command system per se. When I first started there, then we, not long after I got in, we started, uh, started with incident command. The first engine would generally take command of the fire. And then once the battalion got there, they would, they would take command from the first in engine. And it was, it was obviously evolved over the years, but that's, that's generally how we functioned. And then who's doing search or talk to us about the search culture in Toledo. Uh, most of the time, uh, the heavy rescues would, we would, we would be assigned search. Uh, we, we were real aggressive. Uh, I can, I can tell you, we, we were, sometimes we would go places we probably shouldn't have been without lines, but we were really, we were really aggressive, um, trying to get the job done. They still are today. They, the heavy rest, well, the whole department's aggressive, but the heavy rescues are really aggressive also. 
So what kind of search training uh, do the guys go through in Toledo? Do they get a lot of it out of the academy or are you doing it on the, on the street once they hit your rig or. Yeah, we got, we got to push hard. We had a whole week of it in the academy. Um, and then obviously throughout the academy, we would tie search into other stuff. And then we would have various trainings throughout the year, whether it would be shift driven or, or citywide driven, we would do different search drills. And it just depended at the time what what else what other training was going on, or what they were what we were focusing on. But that's pretty much how we did it. So I'm moving into your station for the day as a sub. Uh, what are you telling me as the officer on how we're going to get searches done if we get assigned search? Um, it would depend on the. You would have a good idea who people were and what their what their um, how they function. So if they're more experienced, you could trust them. We would tend to split up a little bit more, but if it's somebody newer, we would have them stick with one of us or the officer. They would kind of stay on their coattails and stay together. Uh, we, you know, tell them we'd be pretty, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to get in and, and get the job done. So we're going to be moving pretty quick. Just, what tools are you taking in? For you? Uh, it varied from, crew to crew, we would generally, it, it kind of depended on what we were going on, you know, if it was an apartment or whatever, but we'd generally have a couple of axes. Somebody might bring in a short hook. Um, that, that generally was it for the most part. All right, cool. So that kind of set the stage. Uh, let's go back to October 24th, 2004. Why don't you tell us about this run that you guys had? All right. It was, I believe it was a Sunday afternoon, if I remember correctly. We remember getting dispatched. The the heavy rescue that was first due, they were on another run, and I was at seven, so we got it. Um, before we were out of downtown, we, from the information we were getting from dispatch, we were sure we had six kids trapped at least. Um, and the first end engine was 11s, and they actually had a three three man engine crew. Because back then we had uh, an A unit, a B unit. So the A unit at the time, I think it was a Suburban. They ran two firefighters on that, and they'd pick up a lot of the EMS runs to keep the engines in service. So the officer and another firefighter were on that. They were on another run. So Engine 11 pulled up with three firefighters. One of them was riding the seat of the engine. They pulled up. I believe they said they had fire showing from the second floor of the apartment. I can't remember if it was just through the roof or if they, I can't remember what exactly the report was. They did a phenomenal job. Um, they got in, they got two kids out right away, right out of the chute. They knocked some fire down at the top of the stairs, grabbed two kids, got them out. Um, so we were, we knew we were, we had some kids trapped. Um, they made a second alarm right away. We got out there. There was four of us on the rescue. Me and me and my buddy in the back jumped out, ran up to command. He, he said, get in there. We got kids trapped. Went up to the second floor, um, poked our head in one room. There was a crew in there knocking down some fire because I believe there was still a little bit of fire through the roof when we pulled up, if I remember right. We shot across the hall to another bedroom. Um, I was down on the ground looking and I remember seeing a set of eyes at the end of a bed 
So I went to pick that pick that kid up. So I noticed that eyeballs, and then there were there was four of them all together piled piled together at the end of the bed, just all huddled together. Um, so by that time, we all took a kid, went down. Front yard was a mess. It was like a war zone out there. Um, at that point, there were six kids out. Nines found a baby in a crib in another room. So there was CPR being given on seven kids out in the front yard. I remember, I don't know who it was, but there was the crowd was amped up, obviously. There was a lot of people outside. I remember a safety officer tackling somebody because she was kind of interfering. I don't know if it was a mom or not. I'm not sure who it was, but I remember him tackling her, trying to keep, you know, give us some room to work. And then just waiting for life squads to get there to, to get kids in life squads and transport to the hospital. I know me and me and, I one, me and my one buddy jumped in the one life squad and we transport transported two kids to St. V's. Unfortunately, they all passed away. So that was a horrible, horrible, uh, horrible fire. Something that nobody should ever see, but obviously we all dealt with it and got through it as best we could. Before we jump into the specifics on on the search and the conditions and stuff, I don't want to miss that point. Um, now you you said that I can't imagine on a fire like that. That's got to be a career fire as far as uh, what's going through your head and and emotionally what you've got to deal with after the fact. Did you feel like uh, you guys were prepared enough on the front end? Uh, I know you you said you guys do a lot of search training and all that stuff, and and the rescue is pretty familiar with doing searches. Did you feel like you were prepared enough on on that front end? As much as you can be for something like that. It really wasn't a difficult search, to be honest with you, as far as what we did, because we found them pretty quick. Um, other than seven kids being, you know, being a fatal with seven kids, I mean, yeah, we were prepared as we could be for that. What about the, um, you know, the days and weeks after? How did, how did you guys all deal with, with what you'd just seen? Uh, a lot of talking with each other. I can tell you, you know, we were tight. We're, it was a tight crew that I was on and, you know, we talked to each other, you know, my best friend was on with me on the run with me on the, on the rescue. And, you know, we talked quite a bit, talked a lot at the table. Um, just tried to process. I don't know what to help. Try to process it, I guess, as best we could. It, it was just, one of those things that I don't think you're ever ready for something like that. So just try to get through it the best we could. I know we had debriefing that night. Um, and I had phenomenal officers. So they, they looked after everybody and just made sure everybody was doing as best they could. So let's talk about a little bit, about the, the actual fire. When you guys got there, instant command tells you to go inside. You had a pretty good idea which apartment was involved. Was it con was the fire pretty much contained to that apartment or what was the magnitude? Yeah, it was the end apartment, if I remember right. So it was, we knew which one we were going in. It was the end apartment. I, I'm trying to remember. I think there was some fire through the roof. I don't remember if it got... 
I don't remember if it's spread in the roof because obviously when we're dealing with that, um, any further past that apartment, I, I honestly I don't remember. Um, I know they got it knocked down pretty quick from what I remember. Obviously, you know, we weren't focusing on that, but it, it, it seems to me they got it knocked down pretty quick. Once you guys got in there, you said um, Elevens had already found two. What did did they indicate where the other kids might be, or or were you, did you guys just pick up the search where they left off? Or talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I believe, if I remember right, they found them at the top of the stairs, or pretty close to the top of the stairs when they got upstairs. The first floor was clear; there was nothing on the first floor, so. Division one was, you know, like just walking into the room right now. So once, once they, they grabbed them quick. So it must, they were at the top of the stairs. I don't remember them telling us anything other than, you know, they had two kids out. So I know we went in, we just went, got upstairs. There was a bedroom to the left. So that's where we poked our head in first. There was a crew in there. They didn't think anybody was in that room. So we, shot across the hallway to the next bedroom we found. Um, and that's where, that's where we found four of them. Like I said, they were huddled together at the end of a bed. Um, what were conditions like in that room? Um, if I remember right, I was down on all fours and you could, like I say, the first thing I saw was eyes. You could see a little bit, but nothing, not great, but it wasn't all blacked out. I don't know how to describe it. I just, the eyes are what stick with me. And, you know, I know I try to block out some of that, but the eyes are, I just remember seeing eyes. And then you found four together. Did you, how many people were with you? Were you just, did you just grab and go? Did you pass off kids or how, what was that moment like? Uh, there was at least four of us in the room by that point. So I think we all picked one kid up and, and took him downstairs, carried him down and, Started doing CPR. I think I had a, the kid I had off to a medic. Um, she started working working that one. If I remember right, I looked, my buddy was next to me with one. I looked there, I started helping him. Then I looked over and saw the medic was by herself with the one. So I had her bring, bring that one over to us. And I did compressions on two while they were doing uh, BVM and kids and working on airways. So I think more, uh, more than anything after that call, cause you still had a lot of years left on, on, on the job after that. What, what did you learn from that call or what did you pass on to, to the people that you worked, worked with after that, that uh, really stuck with you or, or lessons learned from that one? Uh, talk to people, don't be afraid. And, it, and that probably came even later on, you know, as cultures changed and the more we learned about the mental aspect of the job and, and that, I know probably the last 10 years, at least in my career up there, we tried to push real hard with all the new people. Please don't hold stuff in. Please reach out, you know, talk to people. If, you, if you're having, having any kind of issue, just, Find somebody you know you can trust. Find a professional. We had EAP. Uh, we, I don't remember when, but we um, implemented an EAP officer. So they were available 24-7. Um, that's the big thing. Just talk about this stuff. Don't hold it in. Don't 
suffer with it, try to try to talk and reach out to whoever you feel comfortable reaching out to. And we, we I know we push that really hard. That was, and I, I tell my guys now, you know, anytime we have a bad incident, you know, please reach out to whoever you're comfortable. Don't hold this stuff in. And you never know what's going to trigger. It might be a kid. It might be something five years down the road that's, you wouldn't think would trigger anything, but it does. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I saw the video of that, I'm always amazed at the professionalism of all the members of Toledo Fire, that you had guys that were just, you had guys on attack, you had guys that were going up ladders and doing roof work, you had guys that were were doing the patient care in the yard. Um, so really impressed with everybody staying in their lane and doing what, what they needed to do. Do you remember about timeline, how quick this all uh went down because I, f- I feel like the way you explained it you guys there was there was not a lot of time delay and, and victims just being inside yeah we we had a little bit of response because this is a out outer area of the city so we probably had a i would we would guess an eight to ten minute response for us to get out there uh the first engine they were right they were probably there within a minute or two because it wasn't far from their station um, like I said, it was, it was spread out cause it's the outer area. So it took a little longer for the other stations to get there. The other engines in the ladder, they were, they were there before us. I know 14s was helping with the two kids out in the yard. Um, like I said, it took us eight, 10 minutes. Once we got on scene, we, we probably had our four, we probably weren't on scene less than five minutes we had four out i would say probably we were probably weren't on scene but a couple minutes just long enough because we had to park a little bit away to leave room for other engines and ladders to get in so we you know probably took us a minute to get up to scene and get upstairs we found them probably within a minute or two of being inside the structure before we found and nines brought their baby out right after us so I, uh, I definitely appreciate you sharing the story. A lot of things stick out to me. This I'd, I'd seen that video a bunch and um, you know, you're in training now and something we always talk about is, is we need to make sure that our, our training drills match what the fire ground's like. Um, and the couple things that, that, that stick out with this one is just the time factor that we don't need a 20 minute search drill. We need to have that search drill target at like, yeah, you know, the two to two to eight minute range. Cause that's, that's when guys are really getting people out. And, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine from Chicago fire, Larry McCormick said that, you know, people don't want to die alone. So when we find one victim looking for, looking for additional victims, cause they're going to be huddled together. And uh, that certainly was illustrated in this, this call. Is there anything else that you can think of that kind of jumps out at you or that you pass on? Like, like you just said, the big thing is getting in and move. I mean, and that's one thing I've seen search drills. I've seen some people do, and it kind of rubs me wrong. I have people looking for something the size of a a cell phone or something in a search drill. And, you know, I always, if I do my search drills, it's like you're looking for a baby or bigger. You're not looking for a coin in a couch cushion. So to make it realistic, you know, make it search for something you're actually going to find. Because if you're searching for something that small, you're going to be moving slow. You know, if you're 
searching for something that's not realistic. It's, it's gonna really gonna slow you down. So search for what, do your drills with what we're really gonna be searching for and in realistic places, not, you know, in a refrigerator or someplace that you're not gonna find people. Just make it as realistic as you can and, and make sure people are moving as quick as they can. It's thorough, but as quick as they can. Um, with kids, obviously you're able to, to scoop and go pretty quick. Do you have any, have any tips on, on moving victims that might be slippery or bigger victims that uh, you've had in the past? Yeah. I mean, if we all carry uh, webbing, so you can do a quick hitch on them. Um, if you don't have anything to wrap them with, you can always grab a blanket or a sheet and kind of do a hitch with that and wrap it around them. Some of them, is just, some of them you're just going to have to work through and figure out what's going to work best for you at the moment. Um, you can roll them on a sheet or a blanket and drag them if you have to. What, whatever you have to do to get them out. If, if they are slippery and slimy and, and they're burnt, some it's going to be a little harder to deal with than, you know, somebody that's, you know, just got smoked. So can't think of anything else off the top of my head with that. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story today. Uh, you know, like Chief said, you know, when you go through one of these, make sure you're talking with people. Uh, you know, we, we, this is episode 100, so we've recorded a lot of grabs. Um, you know, memories are going to get stirred up, and, and we want to make sure that we take care of ourselves. So uh, definitely pay attention to that mental wellness uh, in your mindset and, and talk with somebody if you need to talk. But uh, Chief, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing the story. Um, if, if anybody's got the story of a, uh, a grab that they'd like to share, get a hold of me, uh, Grant Schwalbe. You can find me on social media, grantschwalbe at gmail.com, or my cell phone number is 239-898-0843. You can reach out to Justin McWilliams or Nick Ledeen. Um, if you do get a grab and you don't want to share the story, uh, at the very least, we want you to go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. That information is for us and by us. Uh, so that we can get the best information out there to train from. So until next time, thanks for listening.